We're in a series here called Greater, Overcoming the, the Lesser Life, and I want to begin by sharing uh, with you what has become our theme verse, and Jesus said this in John chapter 10, he said, the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the enemy wants to do in your life. That's what the devil wants to do in your life. That's what the demons want to do. That's what false teachers want to do. They just want to destroy your life. They want to destroy your marriage. And by the way, at the dwelling place, if your marriage is great, then you ought to get here to have us pray for you. Because every marriage starts off great. And it'd be a wonderful time for you to come and just go, I'm here, my marriage is in a fantastic place. Would you, the spiritual leaders of our church, you know, elders, would you pray that our marriage would stay great? But also, if your marriage is dead, you need to be here, because we're going to pray to a God who's an expert in resurrections. And, and, and so, uh, the, the thief has, has stolen or killed and maybe destroyed your marriage, or he's working on it right now. That, that's what his goal is. But Jesus said, my purpose is to give them, or you, a rich and satisfying life. Peter said this in 1 Peter chapter 5. He said, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the thief, the one who's trying to kill, steal, and destroy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for somebody to devour. Peter basically saying the same thing that Jesus said. He said, hey, look, you need to stay alert. You got an enemy out there, the thief. He doesn't care about your life. He doesn't care about your marriage. He doesn't care about your family. He doesn't care about your kids. He doesn't care about your grandkids. He doesn't care about your parents. And he doesn't care about your grandpa or your grandma. He didn't care. He's just looking for somebody to devour. Which is why Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 5. He said, so be careful how you live. You got a thief trying to mess up your life. You got an enemy prowling around like a roaring lion looking to devour somebody. So, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, Christian. But like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly. God gave us these unbelievable things called brains. And the last thing that a believer should do is act thoughtlessly, not engage this thing. Jesus said, hey, the thief is out there trying to destroy your life. Peter says, stay alert, you got an enemy. Paul says, be careful how you live. Don't, don't live thoughtlessly. But understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understand what the Lord's will is, some of your Bibles say. And this is it, right here. You're, you're, you live carefully when you know this, when you read this, when you study this, and you make a decision that I'm going to live by this. This is the great defense, or one of the great defenses that we have against the thief, if you will. Or our roaring lion out that, that's out there. Now, without a... A doubt, the number one thing that will rob you of this life that Jesus came to give you is sin. 
Listen to what the great prophet Jeremiah said. He said, make this announcement to Israel and say this to Judah. Listen, you foolish and senseless people, with eyes that do not see and ears that do not hear. Have you no respect for me? Why don't you tremble in my presence? I, the Lord, define the ocean's sandy shoreline as an everlasting boundary that the waters cannot cross. The waves may toss and roar, but they can never pass the boundaries that I set. But my people have stubborn and rebellious hearts. They have turned away and abandoned me. They do not say from the heart, let us live in awe of the Lord our God, for he gives us rain each spring and fall assures us of a harvest when the time is right. Your wickedness has deprived you of these wonderful blessings. Your sin has robbed you of all of these good things. And one of those wonderful things that wickedness or your sin will deprive you of is this life that Jesus came to give you. Sin is an ugly thing. It's so ugly that Jesus Christ had to come and die on a cross to, to wipe it out of our, our lives. Now, with all this said, I want to tell you a story. It's, it's really a, a sad story. Um, it's a story that has a horrible ending. Uh, it has an ending that, frankly, I don't understand. If I was God, I would have had a different ending. But I'm not God. And when you read things in the Word of God that don't make any sense to you, God at that moment says, Rick, don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge me. Just trust me. And I'll guide you. I'll lead you. Rick, you know I'm good, right? Yeah. You know I'm loving. Yeah. You know I'm compassionate. You know I'm merciful. Just trust. Just trust me. The Bible says that his thoughts aren't our thoughts. His ways aren't our ways. Deuteronomy says the secret things belong to the Lord. There are some things that we read in the word of God that may not make a whole lot of sense. And how this story ends doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But in Joshua chapter 6, we, we read about a city by the name of uh, Jericho. Many of you, most of you, have probably heard of the city of Jericho, even those of you who may not even believe in the Bible. I've actually been... To the city of Jericho. Many of you, I know Lee's sitting back there and his wife, they've been there and I know Gordon's sitting back there. Many of us have been to the city of Jericho. It's a real place. It's a real city. This is, this is a, a historical uh, story that I'm going to tell you. It's not some mythological mumbo jumbo you find in, you know, in, in other books. This, is, this really happened. And Jericho, like a lot of cities, had a big wall that went around it that protected the citizens that lived within uh, the city. 
But Jericho had become a, a really evil, wicked place. I'm going to use a, a graphic term. It, Jericho had become a, a pus pocket of unrighteousness. It was a cancer on the planet, okay? And God has had it up to here with, with Jericho. And he's going to wipe the cancer off the, the face of the earth. He's going to get rid of this pus pocket of unrighteousness. He's going to cut the tumor out. And the surgical instrument that God is going to use to accomplish this is the Israeli army. And so God meets with Joshua, says, Joshua, here's the deal. I've had it up to here with Jericho. We're going to get rid of it. Here's the military plan. You're going to walk around the city once, camp out. The next day you're going to walk around it again, camp out. You're going to do that for six days. And then on the seventh day, you're going to take the army and everybody. You're going to walk around the walls of Jericho seven times. And when you're done with the seventh time, have all the, have the brass section uh, blow all their trumpets. You know, I want you to scream and shout. And then the walls around Jericho will come tumbling down, right? As I said, I've seen those walls. They're still there. Okay? And so Joshua's kind of hearing the, the plan, and God wants to make sure that everybody understands who's doing this. That's why he's having the army do all this, so that everybody go, wow, this wasn't because of their military might. They didn't, you know, bust open the gates of the city with, you know, a, a tank or something. No, this is obviously the hand of God. But then God tells Joshua this, and to understand where I'm going to go in the story, to understand the significance or the weightiness of the story, you have to understand verse 18 of Joshua 6. So you can look in your Bibles there. says, but as for you, only keep yourselves from the things under the ban. Okay, you see that phrase, under the ban? Some of your Bibles will say, keep away from the devoted things. Now, you have to understand what God's saying here. Otherwise, you don't know where the story goes. There's this um, old saying out there that goes like this. To the victors go the spoils, right? And so oftentimes uh, when an invading army would go in and wipe out a town or a village, the soldiers could pick up stuff. Uh, I don't know, pick up a Luger from, you know, uh, during, you know, from the Germans or some hat or a badge or whatever. They may not have supposed to have done that, but oftentimes the conquering army would, would grab stuff, pick stuff up, take stuff with them. And what God is saying here to Joshua is, not this time. Everything in the city of Jericho is under the ban. I don't want any soldiers picking anything up and taking it with them for their own personal use. It's all under the ban. It's all to be taken, you know, uh, uh, for, for holy purposes, godly purposes. You tell the soldiers they can't touch anything. They're not to take a thing. 
And so Joshua gathers up his army and he says, here's the plan. On the seventh day, we're going to walk around the city seven times, brass section, you're going to blow the trumpets and stuff. We're going to shoot, we're going to, you know, shout and holler. The walls will come tumbling down. And then God tells, told us we're to go in and we're to kill everybody, every man, every woman, every child. You find a goat running around, you just kill everybody. God doesn't want any, anything left except for a, a handful of, of people. There were a handful of people that got, to, that got to live. And then Joshua would have told the soldiers, and, and there's one last bit of information that God has for us. Don't take anything. It's all under the ban. Don't, don't take any of the devoted things. Just leave everything there. Don't, don't take anything. We clear and I'm sure everybody said, we're clear. We've heard from God. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk around the city, you know, for six days. And on the seventh day, we're going to walk around it seven times. We're going to, you know, go in, kill everybody. And we're not to touch a thing. You, that's the plan. Okay? So what happens is, the Israeli army walks around the city once. Walks around it the next day once. Walks around it the next day once. They did that for six days, just like God said Seventh day, they walk around it seven times. The brass section played. They screamed, hollered. The walls came tumbling down. And the Israeli army, you could imagine them climbing over the walls, got in there, and they just wiped everybody out. Just did exactly what God said. The handful of people that God said, I want to spare, they were spared. But there was one guy. His name was Achan. He was an Israeli soldier. And there must have come a moment, he kicks open a door of a house. He walks in, shoots people, stabs them, kills them, whatever. And as he was leaving, something caught his eye in the house. Took a look outside, nobody was around. Shuts the door. The Bible says he took a tunic, saw some silver, saw a bar of gold, and he puts it all inside his tunic, goes outside, finally gets home, goes out in the backyard, digs a hole, puts all the stuff in there and buries it because it's hot. He can't take it to the fence yet. He's got to let it cool down. It's all buried. Nobody knows a thing. It was the perfect crime. No FBI. No CSI. No MPD. No... CIA, no, I don't know, KGB. Why do they all always have three things? That's weird. <laughs> it was the perfect crime. Nobody knew. Well, you keep going on in the story, and you, uh, and in chapter seven, you get to another city that's evil. It's called the city of AI. And if you're keeping notes, it's spelled. A-I. 
If only things would have been that simple when I was in school. Um, it's also a, an unrighteous city. It's an unholy city, and God wants to wipe it off the you know, planet. And so Joshua sends you know, SEAL Team 6 into the city just to do a little investigative work. They come back, and they said, hey, Joshua, these guys are nothing like Jericho. We'll, we'll wipe them out. In fact, we don't even need to send the whole army. Let, let, let them just hang back, get some R&R, and all we need to do is basically send a, a one regiment. That's all we need to do. We'll, we'll, take, we'll, we'll wipe them out, no problem. They got rusty guns, and they got rusty bullets, and they're just, they just don't have any technology, man. We'll wipe them out. And so Joshua says, okay. And they send this garrison, if you will, of soldiers into Ai. And the Bible says that the men of Ai rose up. And with their rusty guns and their rusty bullets and their crummy swords, they slaughtered the Israeli army. In fact, what's interesting is the Bible gives us an exact number. It says that 36 Israeli soldiers lost their lives. And I always thought that was interesting. 36. There were lots of battles in, in the Old Testament. And rarely are you given a number like that. But it, it tells us 36 guys lost their lives. I mean, the men of Ai rose up. And the next thing you know, the Israeli soldiers are running for their lives. And they're all, you know, getting shot with arrows. And man, 36 men die. Which means that 36 women were never going to see their husbands again. Which means that there were, I don't know, 100 children that would never see their daddy again. There were countless hundreds of friends that would never see their buddy again. 36 people die at AI. And so all of the, you know, soldiers come running back to Joshua, and they said, Joshua, you're not going to believe what happened. We got there, and man, they wiped us out. 36 people died. And the Bible says that, you know, Joshua falls to the ground, and he rips his clothes, and, you know, God, why is this happening? Why did you allow this to happen? People are going to think you're an impotent God now. Now we wiped out Jericho. And now we go up against Ai. Are you kidding? Why, God? Why? And I want you to look at chapter 7, verse 10. The Lord said to Joshua, stand up. If you read it in the Hebrew, it's pretty strong language. There's Joshua on the ground. <laughs> One, stand up. What are you doing down there on your face? And then God says something really interesting here. In verse 11, God says to Joshua, Israel has sinned. Well, Pastor Rick, I thought you said it was one guy named Achan. It was one guy named Achan. 
But here we have God impugning the entire nation because of one loser. I'm going to come back to that, the implications of that little phrase, Israel has sinned, here in a minute. And what God does next is really kind of, kind of interesting because God could have said, hey, listen, here's the deal. There's a guy named Achan, and he really blew this thing. But God's not going to do that. God's going to put on the multimedia event of the century. God's going to let everybody know there was a guy named Achan who sinned, but he's going to do it in a really, really bizarre uh, fashion. Look at verse 14 of Joshua chapter 7. God says, in the morning, Joshua, this is what I want you to do. In the morning, you must present yourselves tribe by tribes, and the Lord is going to point out the tribe to which the guilty man belongs. That tribe must come forward with its clans, and the Lord will point out the guilty clan. That clan then will come forward, and the Lord will point out the guilty family. And then finally, each member of the guilty family must come forward one by one. Now let me explain this to you. Okay. You can read that. I just read that in about five seconds. This was something that had to take hours. This, this, this was huge. So God says, I want you to gather all of the people. And for the sake of this story, let's just say it was 1.2 million people. You've seen the, when the president gives a speech on the mall in Washington, there may be 300,000, 400,000, sometimes 500,000. Imagine double that amount. And they're all spread out all over the countryside. And God said, I want you to have the representative from each of the 12 tribes. So in each tribe, let's just say there was 100,000 people, 12 tribes, 1.2 million. You see where I'm going here? So you got this 1.2 million people, and you have, they're all divided into 12 tribes. And there's a leader from each of the 12 tribes here, Judah, Manasseh, whatever the 12 tribes are, they're all lined up. God says, I want you to bring them up one at a time, and I'm going to point out to you the guilty tribe. I'm going to point out to you the, 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 the tribe that the one guy is in. So you can imagine, now, did the head of each tribe, I don't know, the tribe of Manasseh, did he know all the 100,000 people that were in his tribe? Probably not. But I'm sure he was thinking to himself, nobody in my tribe would sin like that. Nobody. We all heard from Joshua very clearly what God's will was. There's nobody in my tribe that would do that. There's no way it's somebody in my tribe. And I don't know, the leader of Manasseh walks forward and God says, that's not the guilty tribe. And that guy could walk away going, obviously, it's not my tribe. <laughs> and if you were a part of Manasseh's tribe, that 100,000 people in the sea of 1.2 million, you knew it was nobody in our tribe, not a soul. And one by one, they would come across and God said, that's not the guilty tribe. That's not the guilty tribe. Then you had the leader of the tribe of Judah. 
And Achan was the part, was in the tribe of Judah. He walks across the platform or whatever it was. And God says, that's the guilty tribe. So now this group of a hundred thousand people spread out in the sea of 1.2 million people all knew it's somebody in our tribe. And I'm sure, you know, people, it's, it's the tribe of Judah. It's the tribe of Judah. It's the tribe of Judah. And that would just spread through this mass of humanity. It's the tribe of Judah. They picked the tribe of Judah. It, it's the tribe of Judah. And somewhere out there's Achan. It's the tribe of Judah. I'm sure Achan went, whoa, 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 whoa. Well, one out of 12. He got lucky. Joshua just got lucky. He picked, he picked, it was one out of a 12 chance. Everybody gets lucky every now and then. Then God says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bring up a leader of each of the clans within the tribe of Judah. So not only did you have the tribe, but then you had, and let's just say for the sake of argument, there were 10 clans. And under each clan might have been 10,000 people, which is where you get 100,000 people, okay? So you're talking about just a larger leader of a group. And so these clans, leaders, would have all made their way up, and here they all were, all 10 of them, and and, and Achan would have been in one of those clans. You see? Does that make sense? And so one at a time, they would walk across, and I'm sure every clan leader would think, look, I don't know all 10,000 people in my clan. I know most of them pretty well, but it ain't anybody in my clan. Nobody would sin like that. Nobody would blow God off. Nobody. And the first guy would walk up, and that's not the guy. Of course I ain't the guy. And the next guy would walk up, that ain't the guy. That ain't the guy. That ain't the guy. And then God said to the clan of Zerah, that's the guilty clan. And Achan was a part of the clan of Zerah. And so all of a sudden, Achan had to be out there going, wow, wait a minute here. That's weird. Joshua got the right tribe, and now he got the right clan. Remember, he hasn't said anything. He's out there somewhere, I don't know, hiding under a tree or something. I think we're seeing the grace of God at work here. I think God is giving Achan a chance to humble himself. Sound familiar? Because if he doesn't humble himself, God will. And it's always much better if you humble yourself, right? Well, after Zerah, the guilty clan, was brought forward, now God said, you know, I want you to bring a leader from each of the families within the clan of Zerah. And so now you might have, I don't know, let's just say great-great-grandpa might be up here now. And you might have 10, 12 guys up here. Achan, that's one of those guys up there is Achan's grandpa or his great-grandpa. And I'm sure these guys, they knew the men in their family well. 
And I'm sure each one of them was thinking to themselves, it ain't anybody in my family. I know the men in my family. They heard Joshua's clear teaching. None of them would blow off God. And so one, of, one at a time, each of these family leaders would walk across and God would say, that's not the family. Now, I imagine in the front row are 36 women who lost their husbands. I imagine right behind those 36 women are all the children who lost their daddy. I imagine that there's a lot of soldiers sitting there thinking to themselves, who's the guy? Who's the guy who made the decision to blow off God's word? Who is he? One at a time, these family leaders, these grandpas, great-grandpas would walk across. That's not the guilty family. And now here comes Achan's grandpa. He's out there. And God says, that's the guilty family. And that was the family of Zimmer. Achan's out there somewhere, and he's got to be thinking to himself, whoa, whoa, whoa. You see, God has taken a searchlight and he's bringing it down to a laser beam in front of 1.2 million people. This is an incredible moment. Now, every man within that family is going to come up here. So guess who's standing up here now? Aiken. Aiken's now one of the 10, 20 guys that would have been in this line. And let's just suppose Aiken's number 15. This had to be the shortest one. Because a guy would, wouldn't even stop. I know I ain't the guy. You know, that ain't the guy. Yeah, I know I ain't the guy. I was there when Joshua said, don't take any of the stuff. I wouldn't blow God off like that. I'm sure there were lots of children out there waving to their daddies. There's my daddy. Daddy, daddy, daddy. And I'm sure Aiken's kids were waving at him. There's my daddy. I'm sure Aiken's wife was out there going, there's my husband. He's a godly man. What a, what a great guy. He's an Israeli, Israeli soldier. Takes us to church every weekend. Guys, one at a time, are walking by. That's not the guy. That's not the guy. That's not the guy. I don't know, Aiken's two back. And there's eight guys behind him. <laughs> Could you imagine this? Aiken's now in the hole. He's up next. That ain't the guy. And it's Aiken's turn. All these women... 
kids. There's his own wife and family. And God says, that's the guilty man. Imagine what it must have been like. Well, Achan did what was fashionable, especially in the 80s. That's the guilty man, and immediately, <laughs> I have sinned. Yeah, that's a newsflash, Aiken. Where were you five hours ago, Aiken? Where were you two hours ago, Aiken? Now that CNN has the tape, Fox News has the tape, they've already put it out there, now you're bawling like a baby, right? Look at verse 20. Joshua chapter 7. Achan replied, It is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, among the plunder. I saw a beautiful robe from Babylon. 200 silver coins and a bar of gold weighing more than a pound. I wanted them so much that I took them and they're hidden in the ground beneath my tent with the silver buried deeper than the rest. <laughs> Many of you will remember what happened in the 80s. There was a man by the name of Jim Baker. Had a big television ministry. And he was taking people's money by the millions. And he was uh, having an affair with his secretary, Jessica Hahn. And he's taking everybody's money and he's paying her off. And when he got busted, <laughs> I have sinned. I remember him on TV. You can still, you can YouTube it. He pulled an Aiken. And then there was another guy who got on TV and pointed his bony finger at everybody and said what a loser Jim Baker was. That was Jimmy Swaggart. And then we found out that he had a bunch of naked dancing ladies in his hotel room. And once the CNN tapes were in and he was busted, he pulled an Aiken. Hey, I have sinned. It was all phony, what it was. Just phony crocodile tears is what, what they were. And some of you may be thinking to yourself, well, that's awfully harsh of you, Pastor. Well, maybe it is. Let me tell you what happened in the 80s when that took place, okay? I, I was a speaker at Hume Lake. I'm now going to go back to Israel has sinned. So I'd go to Hume, and there'd be hundreds of kids in camp, and they didn't know who I was, and so I'd always give them a chance on Sunday night to ask questions about me. And so kids would raise their hands and, hey, boxers or briefs, you know, and there were just the dumb adolescent questions, you know, that kids would ask, and yeah, whatever. And I would answer them, have fun with them, and all that kind of stuff. Jim Baker sins. Jimmy Swaggart sins. Remember, that happened 2,000 miles away. But it was on TV. That next summer, I get to camp. Hey, I was wondering, got any questions? And I can remember this teenage boy standing up. I'm going to be a little vulgar. He said, hey, I was wondering, are you screwing your secretary too? The questions changed. 
Somebody who sinned 2,000 miles away was now impacting my life. Achan decides to take some stuff, blow off God's will, and there's 36 women whose lives were never going to be the same because of one man's sin. There were countless numbers of children whose lives would never be the same because of one man's sin. The name of God was dragged through the mud. I'm sure the people of Ai were mocking, you know, the God of Israel because of one man's sin. Not only will sin ruin the life that God has for you, but it can also easily ruin innocent people's lives. Let me quickly give you how to become a hypocrite in four easy steps. And, and, and Aiken told us how to do it right here. Here's step one. Aiken saw the goal. That's what he said. I saw it. He's walking out of the house, and he looks back, and he sees a bar of gold. I just got done with baseball season, so let me give you a baseball analogy. I think he's okay. That's just strike one. But you get two more strikes. I've seen a lot of things that I have thought were cool, interesting, whatever. Haven't we all seen things? The first step in becoming a hypocrite is you see something. Step two, the Bible says Achan wanted the gold. Yeah, two. You're still okay. You got one more strike. So he stops, he sees the gold, but then he takes it a step farther. And now he wants it. I've been there. I've seen some things, uh, cars that I've gone, wow, man, I'd like to have that car. I've been in some homes where I've gone, wow, I'd like to have this home. I've been in some, you know, seen some bathtubs in some people's homes and I've gone, man, that'd be a nice bathtub to have. Got the jets and all the stuff going on. I still think Aiken's okay. It's step three. Hmm. I saw it, I wanted it, and then I took it. I took the gold. Yeah, three batters out. It's one thing to see something. It's another thing to want it. It's a whole other thing when you actually take it. But he's not a hypocrite yet. It's the fourth thing he does. Achan buried the gold. Now we've got full-blown hypocrite. He's taken all this stuff. All this sin, and he's buried it. And boy, does he look good to his wife. He looks good to his kids. He looks good to those in his small group. He looks good to those that are in the church. He looks good to those that are in his squadron. He looks good to everybody else while he has a sin buried. He's just a hypocrite is what he is. Now... Here's where the story gets kind of weird. After Achan repents of his sin and, you know, and cries and says, I've sinned, and here's what I did. Did a wave of forgiveness flood his life? Did God, you know, extend mercy to him? No. This is where a story takes a really weird turn. 
God tells Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get Achan. I want you to get his wife. I want you to get his kids. You're going to take them to the outskirts of town. And you're going to stone them all to death. All of them. Did Achan's wife know about all of the hot stuff, you know, stolen stuff in the backyard? I don't know, but I doubt it. Did his kids know? No, I don't think so. And yet God says, you take them all. And you stone them all to death. And I don't know this to be a fact or not, but I got the feeling the ladies, the 36 women, they probably all got the first shot. I think probably the children were up next. Probably the people in his platoon all got a shot at it. But before you know it, there was this big pile of rocks with Achan and his family buried underneath it. Now imagine, if you will, you're a couple, you're out for a stroll one evening, and all of a sudden, there's this big pile of rocks. Yee. So you knew what that pile of rocks meant. You knew. And here's the moral of the story. God hates sin. He hates it so much. There's a pile of rocks on the outskirts of town that every time you walked by it, you knew, wow. God, God, God's not joking around here about this sin thing, is he? No, he's not. You couldn't help but go, wow, that's brutal. That is. That's the moral of the story, that God hates sin. Hates it. And I want you to know, as I was thinking about that whole thought this, this week, and I'm struggling with it. Just be straight up with you. Wow, man, God, I get it. Couldn't we have taken the kids and, I don't know, given them to the neighbor or something? I mean, is there, was there another option in this whole thing, you know? I was struck with this idea. That Jesus took the stoning that I deserved. I should have been dragged to the outskirts of town. I should have been stoned to death. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 5, God demonstrated his own love towards me, that he sent Jesus Christ to take the stoning that I deserved. He did it for me. And I can focus all I want on maybe how that seems unfair to me, but here's the deal. I've done a lot worse than Aiken's done. 
Aiken stole some things, and that was bad. I've done a lot worse. A lot worse. And yet God still loves me and cares about me today. Here's the deal. God has this beautiful life for you. Yeah, you're going to experience it to a whole other level when you get to heaven. But right now, Christian, and nothing messes that life up like sin. Nothing. Your sin will mess up your family's life. Your children's life. Your, your, your sin can, can drag a church through the mud. Your sin can do a whole lot of damage. But certainly it messes up the life that God has for you. In this story, I, I think we get to see just how much God hates sin. But I also think we, we see a story where maybe you came in here today and you got some stuff buried in your tent. Nobody knows about the problem that you have with pornography. Nobody really knows the problem you have with, I don't know, drinking. Nobody knows the, the, the problem you have with whatever, whatever it might be. And you just kind of got it buried in your life. And you love the Lord. I, I don't question that. But you know because you got it buried, you're never going to experience the life that God has for you, ever. And today might be one of those days where you go, you know what, here's the deal. I, I, I got this stuff buried. I'm just going to dig it up and get, bring it to the light. Because once you bring it to the light, you're golden. It's when you keep it buried that you got all the trouble. Because here's the thing. Achan thought he was good. Just like you may think, you're good. Nobody knows. But you're wrong. The Lord knows, and at any moment, just like he did with Achan, he could bring it forward. At any moment. And I think like Achan, you know, he gives us a lot of room. He gives us time, grace, to, 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 to unbury it and say, God, help me with this. I'm struggling in this area of my life. And maybe today is the day when you say, okay, look, I just got to make a phone call to one of the pastors. I got to come clean about this, whatever it might be. Just get it out in the open. And there's going to be some pain involved in it. <laughs> Sin always has pain. But it will be far less than the pain if God makes the decision to reveal it. When he does it, it's just way worse. <laughs> it just, just always has a whole other implication to it. And so over in the venue, why don't you stand? Everybody in here stand. And I want you to close your eyes for just a moment. I want you to think for, for just a sec. If, if you're here and, you know what? This was just a great story to remind you of the power of sin. Just praise God that everything between you and him is good right now. Just praise the Lord for that. 
may be a story that reminds you to stay away from it. <laughs> stay away from sin. Maybe you're here and you're going, man, I love Jesus, but I got a hidden thing going on. May today be the day you hear from the Lord and go, hey, I got I to gotta undig, uh, unbury this thing. I got to dig it up. And our spiritual leaders are always available to pray for you after our gatherings. You can come down here on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and talk with one of us. Pastors of the day. We, we'd love, go to a godly man or woman you know. If you're a man, go to a godly man. If you're a woman, go to a godly woman. And just say, hey, I, I've got a secret I've been keeping and I need to get it out. And allow the grace of God to begin to do a great work in your life. Father, thank you for today. And man, I just enjoyed the music. That was so sacred and God-honoring. That choir song was just really, really beautiful. Holy music. That Psalm 62 was really fantastic. Just singing the scriptures. Thanks that we had a chance to pray with Tim and Chris and give and worship you through our offerings and thank you for your word and this story it's brutal but there's such there's such wisdom in it give us a great afternoon lord and i pray these things in the name of the lord jesus christ and all of god's people said amen hey live for christ